let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Crew Shake and a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and joining me as always are Carlo and Lavelle. Gentlemen, how fare you both? I'm doing well. Doing pretty good this week. Nice to be back. Excellent. I feel the same. It's a warm day here in the tropics of Philadelphia. This may not be the longest episode ever because my little room is not air-conditioned, and I cannot open the door to the air-conditioned room lest my microphone sound like a wind tunnel. So uh, this might be a slightly shorter episode, but there is quite a bit to talk about. Let's begin the episode as we always do with Hobby Progress. Lavelle, I'll kick it off to you for Hobby Progress in the last month. Uh, wow, has it just been a month? So a couple of things, a little off the 40K space. I've gotten in two games, and they were my first games of Age of Sigmar. I had an old Lizardman, now Seraphon Army, and I built two armies, and I went to two different things and played and it's a very brutal game, I can tell you that. <laughs> a lot of models disappear from the table. That's the truth. <laughs> right. And, you know, when I played it, I, I had 40K in my mind. And so I did a lot of the charging, thinking all my charges would go first. Right. And, and I did, Yeah, that didn't work that way. Now, were you playing the new latest release of AOS, or is this right before? No, I jumped on at the new latest release. Awesome. Good. And so it was good, and I enjoyed that. Cool. Um, back in the 40K space... Um, I had a the the main game that I had is I had a forty five hundred point Imperial versus Terranid uh, army uh, battle. It was very large with Mike, my partner for large games. But you know, it was really interesting. We played a Maelstrom of War, and you know, again, a lot of uh, you know those Terranids are awful. But in the end, he won the game by one point. Mm. So it was closer than I had really thought it was it, it was feeling, but it was really, really good. It was a great game. In terms of modeling, a couple of things. No judgment again. I am building out my custodies army. And, you know, I just want to say, as friends, we should not be stalking each other on the Internet. For people trying I don't know to- what you're talking about. When uh, somebody goes to a board that they think nobody else can see and post it, he's looking to buy models, and then all of a sudden questions are asked. No, People's integrity no. are called in the, into play here. But um, So I need some custodes, and I'm building them out. The internet is a small place after all. <laughs> Apparently I actually forget. So what happened? Like, I think Lavelle was on a Facebook group looking to buy some custodes models, and I saw instantly what oh, he posted. No. Oh no! And and snipped it, and then sent it to him in an, in, an, in a message, and I was like, "Problems much?" Or <laughs> yeah. You know the thing. I had no idea Carlo was on the board, on that on that message board in that group. And so it came as a surprise to me. That's why I posted it there rather than in our normal group. Because <laughs> you were hiding from the light of Carlo's watchful eye. <laughs> well, if that sounds crazy, my next project is going to sound even crazier. I'm building a new Necron army. Just let, hear me out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I, hear me out. I have about 16,000 points of Necrons, all painted with the exact same thing. They they look great. And I've just decided, because I came into some models, I'm going to build out a small army painted differently. Hmm. Why? I don't know. (laughs) But I have a vision of an army 
with more canoptic units as opposed to the the normal units. I have to I got a couple of units of um, I have the leaders and everything, but I, ha- I want to build a unit that's primarily canoptic. And that's what I'm working on. I want to paint them a different color. Um, I had, but I never put it together, the Cryptech model with the canoptic cloak. And I had two of them, and I actually took some time and put them together. They are really, really good models. And not just that they look good. When you put them together, they fit together well. I was really, really impressed with that model. On another note, I am I finally gotten around to 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 mapping out my Dark Angel army because I've had I have about three thirty five hundred points of Dark Angels, the bulk of which that I got from from Jason and our and our core gaming group um, when he was making his full transition into chaos, and so he went he he wanted to get some space, so I said yeah I'll take the army, and I bought that army off of him, and I'm I finished fleshing that out, was it- and I. I mean, Go if ahead. he had Dark Angels, doesn't he? Or isn't he already in Chaos? Like, isn't I, I, that, I was going to say, Carlo, joke, I right? let it go right yeah. by. Let it go right by. I know Lavelle's very sensitive take the about obvious, that. <laughs> super obvious uh, uh, transition there. Beat a dead horse joke over there. Yep. Yeah. So I, I had that, and since we we last recorded, Tim and I got a chance to do a test team match with our our, our Nova armies and. We got, you know, it's it's 44 days left to the Nova. We got to get some games in. It's true. Tim and I was in a tournament. Um, and, you know, our first game, I think we lost our first game, but barely. We won our second game. But then our third game, almost identical to our Nova experience, <laughs> we were totally decimated. Yeah. Yeah, we were totally decimated by Knights. And um, Knights and Space Jeez. Wolves, it was. It was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah, it we'll, was. We'll, we'll we'll dive into that in our uh, into our uh, battle reports segment. And so that's 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 the extent of my hobby progress at this point. Carlo, what about you? You've been doing some stuff. Hmm, I've been playing some games. I'll start with what I've been painting, I guess. So I bought. I've been kind of refining my Nova list. I've actually been playing the missions, trying to figure out what I want to run for my solo list, at least, because I know we Lavelle was just saying we haven't gotten a chance to play any cooperative games yet. I was I bought a box of Primaris Marines finally, like a full ten man squad, mm-hmm. and I bought um, two Helverins. So I ran the Helverins in a test game. They were phenomenal. So I would definitely recommend. Like everybody should be running those right now. They're just too good not to run. They get two D three. They have a uh, so they have a, a cannon right that does two D three shots. Strength seven, AP minus one, three flat damage. Uh, it's got a special rule. It's heavy, but they can move and shoot it without a penalty. And they've got two of those cannons, so they roll 43 shots. Hmm. So you're wiping, and since it's flat three damage, you're really just like wiping multi wound models off the board with it. It's like one of those things where it's pretty easy to save against since it's only minus one. So you're not really going to like hurt Terminators too much with it, especially if they're in cover. But, you know, somebody fails a couple rolls. Like, you could take out some Thunderwolf Cavalry with them. You could take out some Insert Free Wound model here. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anything with a 3-up save, you now got 50-50 chance of killing it. So, comes a 4-up. The Primaris I'm actually looking at, I, I haven't gotten a chance to play a game with them yet. But I really actually, I like the models. I've been, I built them up with my Space Wolf bits that were laying around. Because I have a pretty deep supply of, of bits from 
the Space Wolf faction now because I have about probably 10 of those Space Wolf boxes. So uh, I've got a bunch of heads, a bunch of shoulder pads. I was tacking some of those little uh, wolfy bits on. I started using, messing around with like different, I, I, I started using the Doom Bull brown instead of the um, Gothar. I forget what the other brown's called, the Gothar brown or something like that. There's Morthar and then... I forget what the the deeper brown is, but I like I like the uh, Doom Bull. It's like very like kind of like a reddish hue to it, and it, it's actually pretty nice. So I mean, it contrasts against like the dark color that I like to paint my space wolves with, so very well. Um, so I did play. I played a couple games. I got a two thousand point uh, game in against some thousand suns and proceeded to get super wrecked. Uh, it was a good game though, um, but. Uh, I kind of taught myself a lesson in that game, which is like, don't get like my army. I want to get as close as I can very quickly, but it's not always the wisest decision. Like I need to focus more on bringing my stuff up evenly than like rushing something on the first turn. Cause I flew my um, flyer in and it just got, it got like killed in one turn of psychic. Ouch. Yeah. So <laughs> and then, wait, right, hold it, hold it, hold it. You, a, a flyer got wrecked by psychic. Oh yeah, smite. With smite. Mm-hmm. And it was what was the other army? A thousand suns. They don't have the detriment of the new psych rule. Uh, oh, smite wait, rule. it's okay. Okay. So they always pass my on fives, and he had seven psychers in his list or something like that. So, so like Magnus can also throw like a smite bomb, which is like it's, he he casts a psychic power that does like smite in a radius of three inches or something like that. And I had my, I had two Razorbacks grouped together with a Wolf Lord. Oh boy. And he gets a bonus from being next to Armon and stuff like that. I don't really know what it was, but <laughs> he rolled a 14 on Smite basically with all of his extra bonuses and did like, and rolled like a six for damage. So like one shot at a Wolf Lord brought, brought two Razorbacks down to four. Um, and then a bunch of other Smites took my flyer down. I brought a, a knight with me too, and that died pretty quick. It was like a pretty rough game. <laughs> Do you feel like you left because you ran the flyer up the table by itself? You feel like you left it just kind of too exposed, or what would you have done differently in that? Yeah, I think so. I think it gave him an easy decision on what to attack first. Um, I think more so, and I, um, I only brought the Razorbacks because I didn't have Hellburns yet. So in that scenario, I wouldn't have brought them again. Uh, they just. Needing the Wolf Lord around for the rerolls, that's an extra like 80 points I have to sink in, or 70 points or whatever they cost. And he just got, I guess normally that wouldn't happen unless you were facing Magnus, but against that list, the Helverns would have worked better because the Thousand Suns have a, a rule called All is Dust, I think, where any damage um, of one, they get cover against or something like that. Wow. So they get their cover save. So if like you're sh- if they're out in the open and you're that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, if they're out in the open and you're shooting at them with a damage one weapon, which is like bolters or assault cannons or anything, um, they get a two up save against it. So it's really hard to take them down. Everybody too, I think Magnus does too. If I'm not, mis- I could be mistaken there, but it was just really hard to put them down. They were just really taking a lot of shots. So, but it was a good learning experience. So I kind of know what would work better against a list like that. So and I think the Helverins would have really done a good job because they got that flat three damage. So I played another game against Orcs. So I have a gaming table set up in my basement now. 
but I got a game in against Grant's Orcs too. And uh, I tried to play a little bit more strategically that game. So I flew my flyer about halfway up the field and put it on a piece of terrain, like flew it onto a piece of terrain. Uh, so it was kind of out of chart, like out of reach. Um, Cause he had some uh, storm boys. So I didn't want him to be able to assault it that turn. Um, I also had two Helverins at that point. So I put them, they have a 60 inch range on those guns too. So I put them like all the way spread out. I took a, a Knight Paladin with Paragon Gauntlet. I brought uh, the Knight as my main detachment. So it was the Paladin and then the two Helverins and he's my Warlord. So I took uh, the House Mortan, which is like he gets plus one to hit in close combat. When he charge, charges, is charged or heroically intervenes, which is really good for a knight with a gauntlet. And the Paragon Gauntlet Relic uh, hits on regular weapon skill instead of like a Thunderstrike, which is minus one. So with the House Morton, you're hitting on twos. You're at strength 16, so you're wounding on twos, and then it's a flat eight damage. So I picked up, like, I charged, like, he had a bunch of Death Dreads kind of clumped up and a, a looted vehicle with some tank busters in it. So I, like, picked up, killed two of the dreads with close combat attacks, killed the the tank buster, and I threw all of them at, because uh, you could throw with the gauntlet. So I just, like, threw a bunch of them at other models within range. Um, unfortunately, did not get the, you need, like, a four-up roll or something to get D3 mortal wounds. I didn't make it, but it would have been sweet. That would have been pretty funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that game went pretty well. Um, I ended up winning that game, and that was a Nova mission, so... I'm, I got like kind of two Nova missions down. I'm pretty confident with uh, my list. I've kind of been refining it, so we'll see how we do. I think the 2,000 point list is less important though, because you only play one one game with it. I'm interested to see how it does this year. That's great. How's everything working out in your uh, new gaming space? Do you like it? Uh, it's good. I need to get a more supportive chair. Right now, I have a like a stool. It's a, it sits a little up, a little bit too high, so I I find myself leaning over a lot. Which I don't like to do. Oh, when you're when it's you're when you're painting. Cool. Yeah. Gotcha. So hey, listen, wanna... Carlo, those gaming chairs are on sale at uh, Staples. Are they like the the ones that the Twitch streamers use, like that kind of yes. stuff? Ooh, they have I those think... at Staples. Yes, I think they're sixty bucks. Whoa. Oh, I'm getting yes. one of those. Huh. Yeah. Good call, though. This will probably air after they go off sale, and we'll get a lot of complaint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, this is what I want to tell people. I do want to say when you need gaming supplies and when you need things like that, look in other different places. I'm always in AC Moore. I'm always in Michaels. I'm always in Staples. There is this uh, glue called Loctite. Anybody use it? I know of it. I've never used it. It's really, really good. It's thicker. It's faster and it sets really, really well. Um, and it's expensive, but you can get it on sale at Staples, and they'll be selling them like two for it. Nice. And it's it's really, really good. So I'm always, tro- well, they know me at my local Staples, but nice. I'm always trolling Staples and, and various other places looking for deals. And last time I was in there, uh, I know both my sons, bought, they both bought chairs, and I think they <clears throat> they might have spent 160 for their chairs, and now they're on sale for $60. Nice. So now I'm getting one to go all the way around, the, one to go all the way around the dining room table. I'm looking at the Staples website now. They have some nice things here. They're, the Staples chairs are half off. They're usually 199 and now they're 99 according to the website, but they might be cheaper in store. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think they might be cheaper in store. Also, look for coupons. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, they always have coupons. Right. 
He's my inside. So when I go in there, I should ask for A, a gaming chair, and B, do you guys have any custodies models for Lavelle? <laughs> for Lavelle. No. They have them. They're in the back. <laughs> They're in the back. They go, oh, Lavelle sent you. It's like that, that movie Click where like Christopher Walken's in the back. Instead, this time, he's got a full GW stock of items. Uh, but when you buy something, you get thrown into the warp. Yep. <laughs> can we hear? Can we hear your Christopher Walken impression, Carlo? I know you do a good one. Guys, Magnus did nothing wrong. <laughs> I swear. Lemon Russ just came. He broke his back. It was terrible. A podcast first, I ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Carlo's wonderful. One of Carlo's wonderful impressions. <laughs> I wish I could do like a good Anthony Hopkins. Mm. He's got such a nice like timbre. Um, All right, well, I'll, I'll round out the hobby progress segment of our uh, episode today. I have been uh, slowly working on some additional units for my Iron Hands army. Um, as Lavelle mentioned, he and I did play in a doubles tournament, which for which I brought just my Admech. So right before that, I did <clears throat> rebase my Admech, so they matched the Iron Hands on these kind of deserty ruins kind of bases. But with regards to the Iron Hands, I painted up... I did some additional painting on a Terminator squad of nine Terminators. I don't know what happened to the tenth. Two additional Dreadnoughts. So I ran three Dreadnoughts in a game I had against Brian, which I'll talk about in a second. That was it. So really just some some additional pieces, like those Terminators and uh, some Dreadnoughts and some rebasing going on there. Um, What kind of Terminator did you lose? I lost a totally vanilla... Stormbolter and Power Fist Terminator. I have an extra one for you. What? Yeah, I got the Assault on Blackreach guys. You can have one. That's where I lost this one from, was from the Assault on Blackreach box. Sweet. Assault on Blackreach is coming home. You probably don't want to mingle my Dark Angels with yours, so you guys keep on going. Yeah, yeah, let's not do that. Let's not taint the forces of good. (laughs) Um, So, Lavelle mentioned we had that we played in a tournament. We played on the second day of Liberty Hammer, which is a wonderful tournament organized annually by Joe Capina. Thank you, Joe. Great job this year, as always. Um, We played in the doubles Sunday, which was 2,000 points, three games. It was a really good gauge of how custodies and admech can work together and gel together. Lavelle suggested something really interesting before the tournament started. He suggested that we play one mission for all three games, just to kind of refine the approach to each of the rounds of, you know, to each of the games we played, which was cool, because after, you know, the first mission, the first time you play it, you just kind of, you really get to know the rules, you get to know, you know, what's going to score you points and what's not. And in the second and third, we were able to really kind of ratchet up our focus on the objectives you know our focus on scoring so you guys were the able points. to like pick the uh mission every yes every game? yes so you pick a mission it's an awesome format so uh one up uh, uh it's two sides and one side puts forth a team and the mission that they're going to play in the region and then the other side responds with another team and then they pick the actual table and the, it was designed so that each region was represented by three tables. Each region was represented by a table, and each table had three boards on them. So there was a total of nine playable areas in uh, Red Caps at Red Caps Corner that that Sunday, um, and it worked out well. We picked this mission called Convoy, in which each team has a little kind of school bus-looking convoy vehicle to escort from one side of the table to the other, and your goal is to get your convoy as deep into your enemy territory. Uh, as possible, and to destroy the enemy's convoy as it comes across the table at you. 
Um, as Lavelle alluded to, our first game we lost, but it was close. The second game we did win by a few points, I think. And the third game we were absolutely destroyed. And I think it's the third game that deserves the most kind of discussion. Because it was a new knight army and a space wolf army. So it was a new knight army and then it had two armager helverins and a knight castellan. It was the knight valiant. The weapon that he had that was so devastating, um, the Knight Valiant is a 583-point model. And so at 583 points of 1,000, he had that and two Hellburns. The weapon that made me keep screaming and not in the face in the middle of the game was the, was the Conflagration Cannon, which is 18 inches, heavy 3D6, strength 7, minus 2 AP, 2 damage each. And he was rolling nice with his 3D6. It was just super nasty. And what was interesting was that the board had a lot of terrain on it. So I thought we would be in pretty good shape because the the knight wouldn't be super maneuverable. And the way we set up, and it was the uh, table quarters, you know, like the Cities of Death kind of table quarters deployment. And he had to kind of do some maneuvering to get the knight around the table to get him within that 18 inches to start to start shooting at us. But shoot at us, he did. <laughs> Is that an assault flamer? Listen, or have you... he completely, completely wiped out my entire Custodes jet bike unit on turn one before I even got a chance to move them. And he put a, quite a few wounds on my um, shield cap. So it was basically turn one. My thousand points were left on the table and like a couple of wounds on your shield cap. And that was kind of the end of turn one and really the end of the game. <laughs> Was then they got first turn turn one? Yeah, no, that was the end of their turn turn one. Right, and it was it was like yeah, top of turn one, and ooh, this ain't looking good. Yeah, I mean, I try to keep a positive attitude, but game three, when something like that happens right off the jump, you try to be a good sport, even if you're really losing. But with a, with a thing like that running around the table with twenty six some odd wounds, yeah, eighteen inches is a little long for that. Like that's kind of crazy. Let me ask this question: When you're playing a game. And there is no path to victory. What do you do? Flip the you table. Okay, hold on. Flip the That's table. A. Okay, do you A, flip the table? Flip the table and then start complaining how the system is unfair. Mm-hmm. Call a TO over, you know, facelessly accuse your opponent of cheating. While but, you, you know, at, at that point, you can't – you're in the tournament. You can't necessarily quit. We did play until the bitter end. I mean, after turn one, the rest of the turns went by really fast because we didn't have very much to do. <laughs> I think what I try to do in that scenario usually when I'm getting, like, beat – when I'm beat, like, first turn is just try and do cool stuff for the rest of the game. Like, I'll try and charge dudes and other dudes that had no business charging them. I'll try, like – Yeah. Like, getting those n- narrow windows – of opportunity attacks in yeah just so i can be proud of something when i walk away from that game do some outland you know do mean? some like, outlander stuff yeah yeah make like a 12 inch charge there you you go. Know? yeah <laughs> i like that i like that attitude yeah um the other the other kind of really tough part about those armies was that his uh, his partners space wolves had brought the aggressors the new primaris aggressors and Somehow, there, he, he had so many shots with these models that he had to bring out the Games Workshop dice app to get all the shots off. It was like 36, some, it was like, I was just, it was insane. Yeah, because they, they can shoot twice if they don't yeah. move. 
So he, he basically just stood them there, and it was like, all right, got to get the app out. Do you mind? I said, I don't mind. I'd never seen the app. I thought it was cool. It's got the neat little graphics going. He was able to, you know, how many three-ups, how many four-ups, et cetera. It was a neat app. I got the app. I liked the app. That was like the best part of the that's game. A G- like, that's a GW app? That's a GW app. They have app. a dice rolling app? It's a GW that. app. And it was nice. How, yeah, I was going to ask how, how you felt about the app. How, what, when, when your opponent says, hey, do you mind I use the app? What, what do you, what's your feelings about that? I felt good about it because when you're rolling 90 dice to see if your aggressors are getting shots at you, I don't want to have to do the housekeeping. And especially with, like, with that many shots or with like an orc army that has like a, a ton of dice that you need to roll every turn, I think it's fine if it saves some time you know, like that. I got a question for you. Did he outflank them? Or did he just, like, sit them in one place? He outflanked with them. Yeah, he outflanked. And he, when he outflanked, they had less shots, right, the turn they came on? Correct. The first turn they had fewer shots, yes. I I was just practicing one turn. Not in the face. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think at tournaments for the foreseeable future, somebody's going to be there with a big knight army. So I need to really come up with an answer. And I thought uh, Cataphrons with all plasma would be a good answer to something like that but they were a uh, they were not a good answer to something like that so my you should bring your knight dude yeah bring your knight. yeah yeah exactly yeah, so yeah but you know you well hold on that's what you say but you know if you got two thousand points he's got a thousand points and i've got a thousand points mm-hmm. you know if we I, I i'm just not really i'm i'm having trouble with the math like um like if you bring a knight Unless you're going all night, you're really limited. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. It depends on. So if you're playing like a doubles game, yeah. Like if you only have a thousand points to work with, um, but you also got to think about. Not a lot of people are thinking about bringing some something that big in a doubles game, and it could really sway the battle. You know, so it is a big bullet magnet, like. And it's something you have to be worried about or else it's going to come stomp your face down. Like, it will do that. Plenty of... I'm going to say knights are not normal, right? So plenty of normal stuff uh, in my army like has a hard time, like, in some games, being effective. You know what I mean? But I, you never have to worry about a knight not being effective. Right. Um, unless somebody, like, takes it down at ASAP, in which case then they're not shooting the rest of your army. So you can... You know, swing at them with that, the next uh, available chance. It gave me a lot to think about. It's definitely a cause for pause, because I do think that knights are going to become more common since the reissue of the Renegade box, and with the new Knights Codex, and with these new knight models, and with the little knights, it's it's like, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. So I need to give some serious thought as to an answer for those those knights. Laz Cannon. Yes, that was was my my next thing I was going to say was, if I had the Iron Hands, I could have just brought the Laz Preds out, and the uh, Land Raider with the Laz Cannons and everything, and that would have been a really nice way to go about it. But because I didn't... Oh, you could have used your, I didn't, your stratagem. I did, I'm right. <laughs> I didn't have... I could use my, my super cool uh, line breaker bombardment with my... Uh, uh, what do you call them? The Vindicators, right? Which I have not... Which I have decided not to pursue any further, by the way. By the way. Another game I had, I had a 2,500 point against Brian, which I really enjoyed. Um, he brought Raven Guard and Imperial Guard. I brought uh, Iron Hands and the Admech. Uh, 2,500 points. We had the Maelstrom escalation mission where you pick up one then two then three then four then five then six cards 
Um, really super bloody game. It was a lot of fun. Um, having I did bring a Laz Predator, and having that on the table was really nice. Laz Shots Ahoy is a great thing. I did manage to use the the uh, Land Raider well to kind of block some stuff and create like this island of doom in the middle of the table that he couldn't get around to charge some guys that needed a little bit of protection, uh, which was cool. But in the end, you know, uh, Brian's an excellent player and a great sport. Really enjoyed the game, but he did win by one point. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's... That's close. 2,500 point game, one point. It was good. It was really good. Yeah, I think that's the closest I ever came to beating Brian. So thank you, Brian, for that game. That was great. Yeah, Brian's a great player. Yeah, a, yeah, we had a, yeah, we had a, we had a good game, and I was, I was using some of the strategies that I picked up from Brian against him, that he had like brought up in previous games. You know, so that that felt good. I was kind of trying to give him a taste of his own medicine, but alas, uh, he <laughs> did, he did win that training mission. <laughs> How do you feel uh, the Iron Hands are doing? Because I've I feel like the people that play them have complained about them to me just because you guys lost your stackable feel no pain. Right. So that was like a big thing. That's kind of a bummer. Cause I did think, I thought, you know, you had this kind of invincible HQ choice with a double six up feel no pain and everything, which was really cool. I love the story and I love working, using them with the ad mech cause that makes so much sense. I love how angry they are. You know, I, I'm still enjoying them. Is it the smartest choice for a competitive army? Definitely not. I don't even have a codex, man. You know what I'm saying? And our next topic, when the heck are Space Wolves getting their codex? No. <laughs> but you know one thing that is bothering me, though, that I'll talk about? I've been playing an Admech uh, Battalion. So for my second uh, HQ choice, I've been playing a, a Tech Priest Engine Seer. But you can take him as a 47-point HQ choice for the Admech. But if you don't, Whoa. but if you don't take an Admech vehicle, he has nothing to heal, right? So he can't. If I don't take the um, the Doom Crawlers or the Iron Striders, right. he's got. He really, he literally has nothing to do, and he's got this really short range weapon. So I've just been like kind of running him in circles on the back of the board. <laughs> he's got, he's got nothing to do. He's just forty-seven points running around there. So I've been using him to defend against guys like deep striking in too, too badly, turn two and turn three, you know, etc. So he's got nothing. <laughs> You're else not running to do. any. Uh, That's pretty any funny. I will. I just haven't. In my thousand-point list that I was trying for Nova, I did not have any uh, Dune Crawlers or anything like that in the list. Uh, so. But I, I think I will next time around. Yeah. We will take a short break, and we will come back with Section 2. Stand by. Welcome back. Section 2, as Lavelle just aptly named, New Stuff. So there's a lot of new GW releases we wanted to talk about, so we're going to give them their own section here in episode 16 of the Crew Shaken podcast. And not the least of these new releases is this new way, this new approach. Hold it. Hold it. I want to bring something up before we go into the really new stuff to make sure players aren't missing this. Have either of you seen the data cards? The data sheet cards that they're putting yes. in. Yes. I for did the, see the data the cards for the Knights. Yes. Yeah. Right. They had them on some, and I saw them first on Age of Sigmar. When you're a new player and you're flipping back and forth and you're trying to find all the pieces, um, it, you know, it can be a bit cumbersome. These data cards put everything about the unit that you're playing on one oversized card. So, theoretically, if I'm coming to the table... And I have, I could have, um, I'm just going to say nine units or nine to 12 units, but only six different types of units. So, for example, in my Necron, I could have two units of Necron destroyers. I could have one data card 
and that data card would make it easier for me to go through as I play. These play player aids like that are really, really good, and they can really change the speed of your play and give your brain more time for tactical decision-making. So if, you, if they're not available to every army, but if they are available, I do recommend it. The other thing that I want to talk about is, and again, this is kind of new stuff and it's player aids. They put out an Imperial Knight battle gauge. And it's like a little measuring tool and you really don't think much of it. I got my tape measure, but I play other games and I have a gauge that I play within those other games. Let me tell you how I use this gauge. When I want to string my Necron Warriors out to prevent anybody from getting in my back line or to prevent my enemy's movement, They've got a set a end of this that's exactly two inches. Therefore, I can make sure that all of my models are maximum range from every other model for coherency and can have more control of the board. It's a very, very good tool when you're getting into that tactical level of play. The gauge is very nice for just that, for that two-inch little piece. I have used them before for exactly that reason and enjoyed it. Um, with regards to the data cards, the ones in AOS, I think for certain kinds of games... For certain styles of play in 40K and for certain players, data cards are amazing. For instance, there are data cards inside the uh, First Strike boxed set, which I think is four or five um, Primaris Marines and a bunch of Cultists and some Death Guard. And there are, there's a complete set of data cards in that box for that game. So for a newer player who just wants to glue some models together, they're blue, blue is the good guys, green is the bad guys, give you a bunch of dice, give you that little box of terrain thing, and those data cards, I think, in that setting are crucial. And for certain kinds of play where you're not, like, super customizing every little bit in a unit where you don't need a thousand entries for each little thing, I think those data cards are a, are a great thing to have. But with regards to new stuff, there's one, I mean, there's a lot of new stuff coming out all the time recently, right? But the one, the one kind of the big one that I wanted to talk about in this particular episode, this new product came up. I had a, a game of uh, Shadespire against uh, Jason over at Headwound Head Minis. Thank you for that game, Jason. Uh, it was one-on-one. Or he, he won one. I won one. He had the Iron Jaws. I played my Death Rattle. We had a good, it was a good game. Well, we started talking about this new GW release called Kill Team. Now, Kill Team is not a new GW product per se. This is kind of a would you say would you guys call it a reboot or like a relaunch of Kill Team? Yeah, they had it in seventh, um, so it'd be like a like a fresh new package. A fresh new package because Kill Team scented. Kill Team used to be Tau versus Space Marines, but now it is the way that they're selling it. At least is going to be something a little bit different. Now, there's all different kinds of ways to buy into Kill Team, which I really like. Um, we'll, we'll talk about what it is and how it plays in a second. Um, it is not available for sale yet as of this recording date, which is July 16th. It goes on uh, pre-order in a week. We'll be able to talk about the physical product soon. But with regards to what it is, it's kind of this... The, the starter kit is like a big, badass box of cool stuff, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it is... You can get into some stuff here. You got this. It's coming with terrain. It's coming with dice. It's got models. It's got a good-looking cardboard playmat that kind of looks like that big Sector Imperialis plastic board business, you know? The box that comes with uh, Skatarii and Gene Stiller Cult models. It comes with data cards. Lavelle, we got data cards in here. It comes with the full rulebook, which is also available separately. That looks like a hardcover rulebook, which is probably pretty sweet. 
and it comes with what looks like a, kind of a mission pack of stuff so you can uh, dive right in and start playing. You can uh, buy just the core manual, you can buy just the uh, the kill zones, which are boxes of additional objective cards, it sounds like, and uh, pieces of terrain, and uh, the, the little cardboard business. So this is a skirmish level 40k variant, but it's not really a variant because it does sound like it's going to be a very different way to play. There's a, there's a D10, for instance, involved, and it's played on a 22-inch by 30-inch board. So yeah, it's kind of small. Do, yeah, it's a smaller yeah. board. Five to ten models, it sounds like. So it's a mix of, of 8th edition and maybe Shadow War Armageddon a little bit, it sounds like. Yeah, and Necromunda, kind of, because you, uh, you invest in your your guys. Like, they level up and stuff, I think. Yes. So for me, I think this is the most one of the most interesting parts about a game like this, is that it does have this neat kind of role-playing element to it, right? Where you can level up characters. So there are, like, these ability trees... I'm looking at the uh, Warhammer community site now, and there's, there's a demolitions ability tree that you start at level one, and then you can branch out and pick something from level two as you level up, and then there's four different choices on level three based upon what you picked on level two, and then at level four you get to pick an additional ability from that from any of those trees up above for this model. I like the idea that you can, especially, you know, of course, if you're going to take it through a kind of a campaign, if you're going to arrange to play several games of this in an evening over or over the course of a period of time, well, that's one of the things I really liked about Shadow War Armageddon was that you could you could level up these guys and lose guys for real. You know, you, they could suffer a permanent death over the course of a campaign, which was devastating and made every decision you made a little bit more impactful, right? Because you were going for an either upgrade or you were going just to not have your one of your uh, squad permanently, quote-unquote, removed from the campaign play. So this is they're advertising this as the game that you've been waiting for. So let me start our discussion about Kill Team by asking you guys this question. Is this the game we've been waiting for, or is this an itch that's already scratched by other game systems altogether? Is this a necessary part of our 40k hobbying or do we look for something different in 40k i think personally like i i like that they're coming out with all these uh new systems it's really nice especially it kind of itches like each individual's you know want from gw uh but personally i think it also gives us now another set of rules to have to learn right if we want to play that game so far with like Shadow War and Necromunda, um, the rule sets have been pretty in depth, and it, it it takes quite a bit of time to learn it. You know what I mean? And I think it's there's a lot of rules in there that are kind of hidden, and you need to really get a dozen or twenty games in to really learn the game well. So, and then you have to keep track of your guys' equipment, leveling them up, and stuff like that in between battles, and getting a lot of these things re- rely on like a campaign to really experience the full game you have to get a campaign going i know they said you can play one-offs uh one shots with it which i like i like that they they went and they um made that available to you to be able to do that um but to to really get the experience you do have to play a campaign and that's from my experience very hard to get people to be consistent with that uh, i'm looking forward to trying it out part of the reason why i got these primaris guys is to test them at nova but i also want to make them as kind of like a kill team I'm a little wary of having to learn a whole new set of rules. So uh, if it's very similar to Necromunda, that'll be fine. That'd be great because then you don't have to go crazy learning 
uh, different uh, ways to play certain rules because I know the change from Shadow War to Necromunda, there were a few things that changed. So if it does that again, uh, that that's three sets. If you if you play all the GW skirmish games, that's three completely different sets of rules you have to kind of memorize. So this particular itch is scratched for me. Everybody knows I play a lot of games by other games. I actually like 40K for its large combat. Okay. Having said that, let me say that this is a beautifully, beautifully packaged game. I am in awe. The pieces, and I'm not sure the price point just yet, but it looks really, really good. I will be buying the core rules to the kill team. I don't intend to play in a kill team game, but I will also be buying the the rules for the role-playing game, and I intend to integrate the two. Wrath and Glory is the name of it. Yes, Wrath and Glory. Wait, what? So, so, so Lavelle is adding a level of complexity to our conversation, which I do like. So in addition to um, Kill Team coming out soon, also coming out soon, it's been coming out soon, I feel like, for a million years, but <laughs> is this Wrath and Glory 40K role-playing game, which is a licensed product, but you can now currently pre-order it. It's made by Ulysses Games. It's a big core rule book that might be the definitive Warhammer 40,000 role-playing game. So, Lavelle, cool idea. You're going to use Kill Team rules and Wrath and Glory rules, so, so I imagine what you'll be doing is you'll be playing through Wrath and Glory, and when the time comes to throw down for combat, you'll throw those characters into a Kill Team-style setting. Is that correct? Let me tell you, how, how the heck did you reach this, Lavelle? You haven't seen any one of the games. Because very rarely do have, and, and I have, when Fantasy Flight did the, um, the um, role-playing game, I have all of those books, they were incredible, incredible reads. Um, I would, I mean, if anybody wants to borrow my books, you can. The lore and the information in them are it's, it's rock solid. But the problem was it couldn't do combat in a way that was consistent with the 40K universe. And if you're playing the role-playing game, you know the 40K universe. When, you know, a long fang picks up a heavy bolter, you know what's supposed to happen. Um, and it just didn't do that. So I'm going to be looking at those two elements to try to bring them together. I think it's a fascinating idea. I love the notion of using a very combat-based uh, rule system for just the combat scenes of a larger role-playing game. I think that's pretty smart. I look forward to your battle reports based on that. Right. That, that's my intention. I'll be looking at both of those two things together. Generally, what you find is people who who are into role-playing, they, they like the role-playing aspect. And people who are into miniature combat, they like that. Putting those two together, I think, is going to be an interesting, um, an interesting dichotomy. But what it's really going to do is it's being done, and rather than having to, to jury-rig something together, it's being done by, from the same company, the same mindset. So I'm really, really hopeful about that. I have always been a guy who said, hey, I don't play kill teams. I don't like kill teams. But one of the things that's very difficult when you look at these kill teams sets that are supposed to be come out, the terrain, all of those people. Oh, yeah, it's just I'm like, wow. I think the whole line, how it's being offered and how it's being modularly released, I think is really smart. And 
I think it'll be a big hit. For instance, like there's a you buy a box. There's one here on the Warhammer community site called Sector Killzone Sector Mechanicus, and what it, it comes with some data cards for the terrain. It comes with terrain, which is quite a bit of terrain, actually. It comes with a new section of display board. I guess you could add that to the original display board or swap a section out. Or no, this is exactly the right size. Forgive me. This is the 22-inch by 30-inch board all inside this uh, Killzone Sector Mechanicus box. It comes with missions that are unique to that box and all the terrain and all the bits you need to play. I think it's a neat way to release you know, additional uh, kill zones for folks who already have models and who already bought that core rulebook. And of course, you know, you can see them rolling out new bits. I'm wondering if this is, it, it looks to be kind of like what they did with Shadespire, where they rolled out you know, the starter box and then uh, additional forces that you could get, and you would get cards with those forces that could be used by the other existing teams, etc. and so on. I'm looking now at the, uh, there's a kill team starter set for um, orcs, and it comes with uh, these uh, Sector Mechanicus uh, Galvanic um, Servo Hauler models, which are like the cranes and whatnot. And there's data cards, and there's token sheets, and some cards. There's, it's pretty cool the way they're putting this out. I hope it's, I hope it's yeah, good. Yeah, let me say that this is like so unfair, because whether you wanted the game or not, the stuff in the box is so awesome. <laughs> right? You're like, I don't really want to buy that, but I need that stuff. Next time on Crew Shaken, Lavelle bought that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, scro- I'm scrolling down the page, and I'm looking now at the, uh, the terrain boxes, which, of course, would be a, uh, useful in 40K as well. They have a new one called Ruins, new one called Administratum, Basiliconum, and Sanctum. This Basiliconum one is huge, and it's got these really great... One is skeletal, one is not kind of space statues, marine yeah. statues. They're so good. I'll definitely get those. And they have their if own. If you think uh, about it, that they would be awesome on just to, my my Dark Angels display board. This is I'm true. Just putting that out there. This is true. You see this accessory box that they have for carrying your miniatures? It's pretty great. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're really these guys over that these guys that are running uh, Games Workshop right now are really really thinking things through, and they're really making not just the game but the gaming experience better. And, you know, I was never a, a GW fan, but now I, I, I got a lot of respect for the way that they're, they're, they're making the game fun, engaging, and hey, you, we know what you need to play, so let's put that out there. I'll get the Kill Team rulebook for sure and pick up some of the uh, the terrain in case anybody wants to get a game of it. But in terms of making it a regular thing, I do I have to agree with Lavelle in the sense that there are other game systems that I, you know, I don't play very often, but I like the lore and I like the models enough to want to own those models and books and play them as often as I can, like Infinity, for instance, or any of the other smaller, quicker kind of games that that, that fill that niche. Like we've been playing Arena Rex recently. That kind of you know that has a great skirmishy, quick, down and dirty, not too serious feel to it. Not a lot of rules to learn. Yeah, you know, that's what I like about the small games. Like not that they're, you know, there are not a lot of rules to them. So you can get in, play quickly, mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. You know? When it comes out. And, and they put out the units and everything. I, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely play a few games. I have to play a few games if I want to integrate it. But I, I'll be willing to play. And before I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not playing the game at all. But with the impending wrath and glory, I'm going to play a few games of the kill team. I like that idea a lot. And I'm, I'm looking at the wrath and glory website now, and it does look like they have a number of ways to pre-order it. Of course, with all the limited edition little bits too, which is cool. That's a really big deal. That bundle is stronger than you think. Yeah, if I could deviate to a different game, Dungeons & Dragons. On Dungeons & Dragons, I bought this bundle early, 
and I it was expensive, but I I, it, I just got so much incredible mileage out of it rather than buying things piece by piece. If you if, you know a role playing game needs a lot more support in general than just one book, and I I, I have been looking at that that bundle. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I'm definitely looking. With that, we'll wrap up section two of episode 16 of Crew Shaken. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Section 3, Future History. We're talking about Lehman Russ. We think he's coming back. First of all, who is he? What did he do? Where has he gone? And will he return to the galaxy as we know it sometime soon? Carlo, you are our resident Space Wolf expert. Kind of set the stage for us about who Lehman Russ is is slash was slash might be again Lehman russ is the primarch of the space wolves chapter he was so all the primarchs are created by the emperor with his genetic uh, dna so they're gen- like d- direct descendant basically of the emperor right so um when the uh emperor had created them chaos had intervened and was able to kind of shoot them all off Dragon Ball style into all corners of the galaxy, you know? <laughs> and uh, uh, Russ landed in a death world known as Fenris, which generally, like, if you land on a death world, you, you, there's a reason they're called death worlds. And it was kind of amazing for him to survive uh, like anybody else wouldn't have. But, he, you know, being a Primarch, they have some extraordinary abilities uh, resilience. So, and they arrived on their perspective, kind of accidental homeworlds, as children. It wasn't like he knew who he was. He knew his place in the galaxy and was just kind of sent off to this death world to die. Right? They arrived here without really knowing anything. He was like an infant. So when he landed, he was adopted by like a thunder wolf, uh, a female thunder wolf, kind of. I guess she sensed in him something that made her want to raise him as her own. And eventually, he, while he was still a child, she was killed by like a pack of hunters and like tribesmen, Fenrisian tribesmen. He was fighting them back and like had killed many of the many of the tribesmen. And uh, they finally figured out that he was a human because they had thought he was a wolf the whole time because he was so like feral and just like bouncing around and killing guys. They took him in, and he he was able to like kind of rescue two of his brother wolves, Frecky and Jerry. Um, so if you see like his, uh, if you get his Forge World model for thirty k, he has those two wolves with him. So he ended up being uh, taken in, and then one of the the kings in the in the area that took him in passed his throne to him. So he ended up ruling Fenris. And that's how he got his name. Lehman Russ was from, I think it was, I think the king surname was Russ. And that's how it got passed down to him. But he basically ruled Fenris for a while. And then when the emperor went back out to try and find all of the Primarchs, I think he was like the third one that the emperor had found. When he visited him, he did it like he hid his appearance so that Russ wouldn't know who he was right away and challenged him. So he could get to know him a little bit better. 
Russ was like, okay, so we've got a couple, like the first challenge he laid out was an eating contest. So he tried to out eat Russ and Russ like destroyed him on it. And then it was a drinking contest and Russ like destroyed him on that too. And then uh, they finally like got to fighting. Um, I think the emperor actually like insulted him and was like, you are a basically like a glutton and a drunk and what the heck has happened to you like <laughs> so uh at that point like russ got up and just like like went at him and they fought and the emperor ended up beating him i think he chiffed one of his fangs too when the emperor beat him he basically acknowledged that the emperor was better than him and joined up with him so the space wolves became like the executioner legion they're the sixth legion of the astartes uh so they were the ones that went out to resolve issues with other Astartes. Is that, uh, so, is that how you're going to, that how you're going to term it? Resolve issues. Yeah. Man, you talk about whitewashing it, man. <laughs> resolve issues with I heard. Okay. You keep on going, sir. So, uh, Magnus. <laughs> right now. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, you hear that, that joke, like Magnus did nothing wrong, right? All the time. So, because they were, the space wolves are sent out. Horus like, like tricked uh, Space Wolves into thinking that Magnus was going to chaos, and they went over. They were ordered by the Emperor to go over there and kill the Thousand Sons. So he went, did his job, and then Magnus ended up turning to chaos because of that. Magnus had done some other shady stuff that I won't go into. Russ eventually. And I forget what happens, but eventually finds himself chasing something into the Eye of Terror. Trying to remember what it was. It was like after... So, like, Russ was, I think, one of the only other people on Terra when the Emperor was killed, I want to say. Because I think the Space Wolves are on Terra, and he ends up, like, going into the, the Eye of Terror to chase somebody down after the Emperor is killed, and he's bit been in the eye of terror since the last thing he said to uh his wolf brothers and he had left bjorn in charge so bjorn the fell handed and uh he he had said that he would return uh for the wolf time which is like the end times of 40k so if he does come back then you know some some stuff's going down there's a number of uh horse heresy novels that uh that give the space wolves and give russ a lot of attention which are really they're awesome because they do paint the picture of what a death world is really all about. Um, they do paint the picture of Fenris as being this, you know, this cold tundra-like environment that is extremely inhospitable. Yet there are Fenrisian tribes over some of the planet, at least. You know, they are hunkered down. They are uh, able to survive in these conditions through humanity's sheer ability to just hang on for dear life. I think Russ... As the executioner, Russ and the Space Wolves as the kind of police force is a really interesting role for a, a chapter slash legion to play. Even if it's not always like a like a martial discipline thing, even if they're not sent there to put the smack down on some of their brothers, they are often sent just to keep an eye on things. There are a lot of books in the Horus Heresy series, Heresy series where there's a tactical squad of, of uh, Space Wolves there just kind of lurking around the throne room of some erstwhile planetary governor or something, just keeping an eye on things, just making things don't go too far from the imperial creed, imperial truth. So they are both executioner and watchdog. 
That's kind of funny. I never, I never thought of them as like a police force before, but that's kind of spot on. I think, I think they are. I think, think about are. it. Yeah, because yeah. you, you'll see them not necessarily just whooping ass all the time, but you'll see them, in the books at least, just kind of there in the periphery, sometimes to everybody's chagrin, like these sort of ill-behaviored. They're not like the. Uh, the tidiest of space marines they are not the uh... yeah like that's the thing about russ he doesn't always like to do things he's not like gullman where he's very very like very tactical and organized and i mean he's organized but he's not like anal retentive you know what i mean (laughs) like gullman is so he 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 like kind of likes to work around the uh reality a little bit yes you know? it's no coincidence that I, I i forget how the story exactly works but there's something about his drinking horn like he's you know this is the, the space wolves like to drink and have a good time these are very much like viking raider kind of characters right where sure the spoils of war are important but also the party at which they can drink and eat and sing the songs about the the, the victory is almost as important as the victory itself so the thing that's really hard about space wolves war is that depending on the writer i think there were a couple different writers that like chose to there's like a a phrase that's like there are no wolves on Fenris. So like, depending on where you read the lore from, there were wolves on Fenris and, or the wolves on Fenris are a result of the gene seed mishap with like the gene seed. uh, Like when space wolves get a started, get their gene seed implantations. They tend to go crazy a little bit and they like turn and turn into wolfen, right? They turn into wolves. So they, they do this thing where they go out into the woods and they try to get control of themselves and if they can they come back and they become Astartes and if not they basically wander Fenris as Thunder Wolves for the rest of their life or like Wolfen or <laughs> that's not the case so it depends on who wrote who wrote the lore so I like the fact that there's like these crazy wild half drunk I mean even even if you look at some of the art for uh, uh, this I don't know if he's a new character I haven't read this book yet but Lucas the Trickster it's like a wonderful dynamic piece of art of this young kind of space wolf looking Astartes kind of like sprinting to the side with a pistol out. Have you seen this this piece of art that's on the cover of that book? He's like a really fun model to play in the in the game. So like he's a blood claw. So in blood claws and, and space wolves are so in every other Adeptus Astartes, the scouts are the new recruits, where in space wolves scouts are veterans, so the new recruits are the blood claws he you run him with like a big pack of blood claws and he's always had rules where like very spiteful things he does very spiteful things so like if he dies in combat he does like d6 mortal wounds to your opponent in in the fight phase you like have a roll off and if you win he does d6 mortal wounds so he's very like a like a fun model to play you know i i think um let me say of all of the um all of the the Primarchs, I find Russ to be the most genuine. He's more, he, in, in, of all of them, he appears to me the most consistent. Um, and so you, when, when, when the space wolves come, you know what to expect, but they're not unreasonable as people always make them out to be. It, you know, it, it has to make sense. And they respect a certain set of uh, characteristics in other people, whether they are other, um, whether they are other Astartes or other humans. They respect a certain set of characteristics. I have this comic book, I can't remember the name of it, where there's an Imperial Guard unit, and it's completely overrun by the Tyranid. And I think there's one guy who's a survivor, 
and just as he's getting ready to get overrun, the Space Wolves pop up. And this one Imperial Guard survivor ends up, you know, hanging out with them and going as they, they make their final battle. And ultimately, they have to blow up the planet and one of the Space Wolves stay behind to blow up the planet. It's a really, really good, it's a black and white comic book. It was really, really good. But it really spoke a lot about, you know, the Space Wolves, yes, they're running around, they're killing things, but they do know their place and they do know their duty and they know where they fit in. And they have to be, they have to be the heavy hand. They have to be the heavy hand. If you think about it, you know, the emperor knew what he was doing when he, he knew what kind of agent he would need in order to be able to be effective and effectively manage and police the other space marines. All right, with that, we will wrap up section three of episode 16. We'll come back and wrap out the show in a minute. Stay tuned. Wrapping up the show, we will shortly say our goodbyes. Thank you so much for listening to episode 16 of Crew Shaken. Congratulations again to Stuart Ream, the winner of our Helverin's box as part of our giveaway. But before we go, let's do a round of pick of the episode. This is a hobby aid or a book or something that we've encountered recently in the hobby that we can recommend to our listeners. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll say it again. Um, Even if you're not reading the Horus Heresy books sequentially, like I am uh, doing, the Praetorian of Dorne, such a good story. A lot of recognizable characters in there. We have Sigismund, we have uh, Alpharius, of course, we have some, some big names on both the recently heretical and the loyalist sides of the Horus Heresy. And like every good Alpha Legion book, it has a lot of twists and turns. You don't know what side these people are on. It has a number of great sections where you're seeing human operatives working for the Alpha Legion, doing things in concert with other secret operative groups that are working for the Alpha Legion without knowing that they are secretly working for the Alpha Legion. You know, plans within plans kind of a kind of a thing going on. There's another scene in this book where you learn that there are Alpha Legion space marines buried under the ground on Terra and have been buried under the ground on Terra since before the heresy began for some reason. And then you find out what that reason is in the book, and it's crazy. Such a good story. It reads like an action novel. It's like probably... To take out the trash. That's kind of what the... After all the play-ins done. (laughs) (laughs) But it it reads like an action movie. It would make a great script. For a uh, for a feature length film, uh, a lot of back and forth, a lot of who did that, what's going on, a lot of uh, subterfuge. Great story. Uh, do you guys have anything you can recommend to our listeners before we wrap up episode sixteen? Uh, let me just say to to our listeners, if if you're playing forty k, and I talk about this a lot, it's not really a product, it's not really a book. Go to a tournament. You might be playing in your local meta, um, but I really, really strongly recommend that you get out to go to a tournament, to play with other people. It's a good time to be specifically in this 4K hobby. And recently, you know, I've, I've always gone to tournaments, but re- recently I've been stretching my legs and meeting some really, really good players. You know, I've been meeting some older players who've been in the hobby for years and left and are coming back. And the stories and their understanding of everything, it really enriches your overall experience. And it connects you. You spend so much time at home, alone, painting and building models, getting out and hobbying with other people. 
is something I can't I can't recommend strongly enough. Carlo, get on the Helvern boat with Stu. You're gonna want to buy at least one box of them because they're awesome. You heard it here, people. Get those Helverns on the table. Get at a table at a tournament and do read Praetorian of Dorne. Again, thanks to everybody who followed along with us on our hobby journey recently. Thanks again for listening. For Crew Shaken, I've been Tim. I'm LaValle. I'm Carlo. We'll see you next episode.